Jesus, please uh, be with us today. Speak to us through your word. Um, Lord, as we approach just these final verses of 1 Peter, please build us up as a people who stand firm in the grace of God. And Lord, please be with the kiddos uh, as they head into uh, Grace uh, Gospel Kids, whatever we call it, I can't remember. And uh, yeah, build them up, Lord. Uh, let that not be a place where we are shunting away our kids uh, for some quiet, but Lord, let it be a place where we send them with joy to grow in who you are in a way that speaks to them. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would bless that ministry and build it. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't this an occasion for rejoicing and mourning and whatever you want to do? Our final week in First Peter. Twelve weeks to get here, um, and, and here we are. And if that, if that doesn't raise a shout from you, we're, uh, we're only addressing three verses today, uh, although technically the whole book as well, and this is going to be considerably shorter than the last few weeks. So, uh, you know, celebrate at that if you don't celebrate at the other two things. Um, yeah. Gosh, I feel like I need to pray again now, having said that. But uh, <laughs> uh, early church tradition um, tells us something about uh, the Apostle Peter that we don't, we don't get this in scripture. It tells us that he lived in Rome at the end of his life. We get an indication of that from this letter and from these verses that we're reading today. Uh, it's in his years there that we think he actually wrote this letter uh, to, to the church. Um, and he's probably written this letter, uh, historians think, somewhere around the year 62 AD. Uh, although it's impossible for us to be absolutely certain of that because unfortunately he didn't get to the end and write written in the year 62 AD. They hadn't come up with the dating system yet. Uh, at that stage, Peter was an older man. He, he was getting on in years. He had been a leader in the church for decades. And he had seen consistently increasing persecution for the church. It seems from his writing that at the time that he uh, wrote to these Christians and Christians throughout the empire were actually facing opposition. And, and, and it was mostly in the form of social exclusion, mostly in, or ridicule maybe, even lighter physical persecution. Uh, however, in the years directly after the writing of this letter, that changed. And we know that for a fact. Uh, just a couple of years later, the great fires of Rome in 64 AD happened. Now, Nero was the emperor at the time uh, and forced uh, to face a mounting pressure from his people to point out who caused the fires, and, and even with the accusation that he had caused the fires, Nero found the perfect scapegoat, the Christians. They were already a hated people, a hated group in society, and he therefore boldly declared that it had been them that had lit the fires and destroyed significant parts of Rome. He officially called for the rounding up and the killing of Christians. Christians were fed to wild animals in front of crowds. We were burned alive. One ancient historian records that Nero lit his garden parties with Christians on stakes. It was an intense time of persecution for Christians that, that, that none of us have experienced. None of us have seen those kind of times in our lives to date. Uh, early church tradition tells us that the apostle Peter was killed uh, by the Romans in the, in the mid-60s AD. So only a few short years after this letter, right? These, these early sources tell us that he died in one particular way. He died by crucifixion. And it's understood that facing this horrific death, Peter's request to his executioners was to be executed, uh, crucified, upside down, being unworthy to face the same death as his saviour. 
having stood firm in the grace of God for many years, since he stood on that hill and watched Jesus ascend to heaven, Peter stood firm to the end. He was a man whose eyes were so set on the hope that he had, that God had given him, that he stood firm in the grace of God until the very end of his days. Today we're coming to our final message in the book of First Peter, uh, written by that very man who would go to his death just a few years after this was written. Uh, and and we've, we've been travelling here, like we said, for, for 12 weeks now. And today we look at these last few verses of the book, but, but in them we find what is really a summary of the whole letter, the whole teaching of what's written here, as he calls Christians to stand firm in the grace of God. Uh, the main meat of this passage is actually found in verse 12. So we're going we're gonna to flip things around today. We're going to have a brief look at verse 13 and 14. Um, and, then, and then we're going to move back and, and spend our, our solid time in verse 12. Um, so in his final greeting, Peter writes, She who is at Babylon, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. She is at Babylon. That's basically Peter's way of writing uh, about the church in Rome. Uh, so he's saying that the church in Rome, those who are also chosen by God, they send their greetings. And then when Peter says, greet one another with the kiss of love, he means we all need to kiss each other. Go. No, 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 no sorry. Uh, not really. Don't. Um, none of you. Yeah, yeah, you two, you two can. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. But definitely what it does call us to is to be a people who are affectionate toward each other. People who love each other. Culturally, not all of us kiss each other to express that anymore. That's, that's okay. Some of you might, like, like we mentioned. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're from some European cultures, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, if we, if we gen but if we genuinely understand the grace of God that has been shown to us, then we will be a people who are, who are warm towards each other in love. Not, not a, a distant people, not a people who it's kind of like you're a, you're a distant friend that I see once a week. We're, we're brothers and sisters. We have received grace together. And so we can be loving towards each other in ways that we couldn't be otherwise. Not necessarily kissing once again. Uh, <laughs> and, and last of all, Peter writes just that final greeting, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Just highlighting, well, this is what, this is what we have in Jesus. Go in peace. And, and so having very briefly dealt with those verses, we're going to sink our teeth into verse 12, where Peter uh, gives us this incredible summary of the whole letter of First Peter. He opens the passage with these words. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you. Briefly. Honestly, like, like it's taken us 12 weeks to get here. Imagine if it'd gone long. Uh, uh, but Silvanus was probably the guy who, who Peter sent with the letter to the, to the churches to, to um, read it to them and to be a first-line interpreter uh, in case of any confusion, uh, which is why Peter says, I, I regard him as a faithful brother. He says, this guy's reliable. He's gonna, if, you, if you don't understand what it means, he's going to tell you what it means. But what comes next is this incredible statement by Peter. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. As Peter comes to the end of this book, he summarises his teaching. 
in just a few words. Now, his teaching has been instruction for these Christians on how they are to live as God's people, how they are to live with hope in a world that isn't hope. So really, what he's doing here is he's summarising the reality of the lives of these Christians. Because he's been telling them, this is how you live now. This is what your life is now. And so this is the summary of our life now. But imagine if you were one of these Christians receiving it, right? Back in the Roman Empire, you're experiencing persecution. You're facing opposition in your society. And all signs show that the opposition is going to get worse before it gets better. And remember, not long after this, Christians killed in droves. How would you have looked at your situation? How would you have summarised it in just a few words? There's every chance you would have looked at everything that was happening, everything that was going on, and thought to yourself, this, this is pain. Or, or this is terror. Or this is meaningless. Or pointless. Or maybe you would have thought, God doesn't love me. This is the absence of God. God doesn't care about his people when he has abandoned us. And that's not just possible for Christians then. Let's be real. That's an easy thing for us to fall into today. And all over the world, Christians face serious persecution, the likes of which we haven't known. But even for us here, it's very tempting for us to fall into a mindset of, well, God's not with us. We've been abandoned. Or we, you know, this life doesn't seem to be the, the blessed life that God's people are called to lead. In our context, like I said, we haven't faced that persecution. We, but we gen, it seems like Christianity is falling on the sidelines in a lot of ways in our culture. I don't know if you noticed, there's six of us in this room right now. That, that wasn't a thing 50 years ago. Everyone came to church. Now, let's be real. Most of them probably weren't Christians, but everyone came. <laughs> Christianity is, is, is increasingly just this thing that is openly rejected by our society, rather than accepting a pseudo-Christianity. Increasingly, being a Christian is a, is a negative mark against you in our culture. It's easy for us to act like God doesn't love us. God's favour is not on us unless our, our rights are upheld unless our values are upheld in the laws of our country, unless we are the dominant force in the culture of our day. But as we come to the end of this letter, Peter sums up the situation of every Christian, yourself included, with these words. This is grace. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. See, Peter has spent this whole book refocusing these Christians and us uh, taking our eyes off of the suffering of today, off of the challenges of today, placing it onto the glorious future hope that is ours. More accurately, he's been interpreting the reality of suffering, the reality of today, through the much greater reality of a final hope. And so uh, the truth of this whole book, which Peter has returned to again and again, is that uh, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, because God has paid the price for us to be free from sin and from the devil, ultimately, because God has set his love on his people and has done all that is necessary to redeem us, we have only grace awaiting us in the future. 
Let's go back. Do you, do you remember how this book started? The first verse. We didn't read that one out just before. We've read quite a bit of it. The first verse, Peter referred to Christians uh, with two words. Do you remember what they were? They, they oriented the whole book. Yes, you're allowed to say it, Matt. Elect exiles. Why is that a question? Uh, in that one little phrase, Peter summed up uh, the nature of Christian identity right? in this world. You're elect, you're chosen by God. We've run over this a few times already, but we're going to do it again. Uh, that has come up again and again throughout this book. Ultimately, it means you're chosen for hope. In, in 1.13, uh, which, which I think we had it read out before, uh, Peter gave the first direct command in this letter. Actually, I don't think we did. He said, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. For the Christian now, for the person who believes in Jesus and trusts in him to save them, the truth is that you are chosen for grace. Chosen for the grace that will be brought to you when Jesus comes back, when he is revealed. And although this world may be hard at times, ultimately you receive eternal life and glory. That is the ultimate reality of your life. The ultimate meaning of God's grace towards you. Peter summarized it really well in chapter 3, verse 18. Philip read this for us. He said that Jesus suffered that he might bring us to God. Christians, you are chosen to one day live with God in a new creation. But you're not only elect, you're also exiles. In fact, crucially, because you're elect, you're exiles. Because you are chosen for eternal glory, you're a foreigner in this world. Because a world uh, to come is your home, this world is not home. You live now with hope in a world that isn't home. And the main way we see, we've seen that come out in this book is that Christians suffer. It's, it's, a, it's a reality that Peter calls us to expect. And he calls us to reassess our lives if we're not experiencing. But Peter's pointed out in this letter that our experience of being different to the world around us, even suffering in this world, is not a reason to lose heart. It's not a reason to be dejected. But is a reminder of the ultimate reality. We are heirs of hope. We will receive that final grace in the end. And that's evidenced by our suffering now. Do you remember back in chapter 4, we looked, uh, Matt took us here at, to this a couple of weeks ago. Peter called Christians in 4 verse 13 to rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When Christians suffer like Jesus, it's a reminder that we will receive glory like the glory of Jesus. That's big. And so suffering points us toward grace. The fact that you are both elect and exiles is nothing short of God's grace to you. The fact that you live as a stranger in this world, that you face opposition, it operates ultimately as evidence that God has been gracious toward you. Because this world opposes you, causes you to suffer, Ultimately, for one reason, they recognize, even if they don't recognize that they recognize, they recognize that you are fundamentally different. And the reason for that is that you are chosen by God to receive the glorious hope that he prepared for you when Jesus died on that cross. And that he ultimately prepared for you before time. 
that he chose you for before you were you, before this world was this world. When Jesus died on that cross, he washed away your sin and opened the way for you to be welcomed into the presence of the creator God. And although Peter is primarily writing about Christians who are being persecuted, in one way it's worth recognising all of our suffering, any suffering should point us toward our final hope. Uh, it should be a reminder to us. Every family struggle, every sick relative or, or dying relative, you know, we, we actually have members of our church right now who are at home lying in bed because they're too crooked to come. Uh, that's a reminder. It's a painful reminder, you know. I, I spoke to mum and dad this morning and they sounded like this. Uh, <laughs> they weren't pretending to be Darth Vader. They, they, they have a horrible flu thing. Um, be glad that they didn't come this morning. Um, but it's a reminder. One day it's going to be washed away in the presence of our saviour. Every financial struggle... Every loss, every time we suffer, we can remember this isn't my final reality. This is something that's, that's passing away. God's given his grace to me. So I have final hope that I'll be with him in the end. That certainty of future grace rooted in the work of Jesus when he won it for us is the only thing that enables us to live out this life in the way that God has called us to. That is ultimately what, what enabled Peter, along with countless other Christians throughout history, to bravely face suffering, persecution, even death for their faith. Because they, even, even that final suffering of death cannot defeat our final hope in the grace of God. You see, those little words there in this letter stand firm in it. They are a call to let the grace of God, the truth of your certain future hope, let that be lived out in every part of our lives now. You know, um, this isn't in my sermon. I'm probably going to mess it up because I just had the thought. But do you, you guys familiar with Matt? Help me with my church history. Was it Chrysostom or Augustine who stood before an emperor who was like, well, I'll exile you? Oh, no, nah, it wasn't I'm going to look up this story and send it to you in the email this week to get it proper. But I believe it was John Chrysostom who was one of the early preachers, uh, one of the early great preachers of the church. And he was threatened by the ruler of the empire of his day uh, because that he, it was, his preaching was unpopular with the leadership. They didn't want him to do it. And they said, we're going we're gonna, if to, if you keep doing this, we'll exile you. He said, well, you can't. I'm always at home, no matter where I am. I'm in my king's kingdom. Well, I'll take your life away. You can't do that either. You can kill my physical body, but I've got life forever. You know, we have hope that just can't be crushed. That was the worst retelling of that story I've ever heard. But, uh, but it's, it's undefeatable, no matter what is taken from us, because it can't be taken from us. And it's bigger than anything that could be. So as we finish this book today, I want to ask you, how does First Peter call you personally to stand firm in the grace of God? How does the truth that future grace is waiting for you call you to be different now 
you know, maybe maybe in the past weeks you felt challenged by something, but you know, you let it wait till Monday to think it through, and then it was Tuesday, and then it was next week, and now it's today. And maybe this is the moment that's coming back to you and you're going, oh yeah, that thing. <laughs> Can I challenge you? Take a little bit of time this week. Sit down. Read the book of First Peter. Read this letter. Do you know it's 2,500 words-ish? Okay. Uh, that's shorter than the shortest sermon we've had in this whole series. Uh, I, I said he went long, but really we've gone long in a sense. Um, it's packed with content. It's packed with goodness. It's packed with richness. Uh, but, but I want you to read it and to think, where is this calling me to change? That should be our mentality when we when we read scripture all the time. It should be, how does the goodness of who Jesus is, what God has done, how does that call me to live differently now? In it, Peter has, has constantly called us to be hope-filled people, to hope fully in the grace that is to come in, in deeply practical ways. Let's, let's summarise just a few of them. He's called us uh, to unity and hope. He's called us as a church to be so unified in the hope that is ours that we are powerfully and practically loving toward each other. You know, I, I, I can, off the top of my head, I can think of a way that we can live that out right now, which is that we have sick brothers and sisters who need caring for. Pardon me. And now it's on the recording. Um, we, have, we have people who we could cook for and care for this very week to express the loving unity that God has built into us with the hope that we have. He's called us to hunger and long for the truth of hope. He's called us to hunger for the gospel truth of what Jesus has done and what that ultimately means for us and achieved for us. He's called us to be declarers of hope. He's called us to be so utterly awestruck by God's grace in choosing us and, 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 and giving us hope that, he, that we spend our lives declaring it. Declaring the, what are those words in, in verse 9 of chapter 2? Declaring the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvellous light. He, he called us out of darkness, out, out of your brokenness, out of your sickness, out of your pain, out of your sin, out of your evil, and into his marvellous light. And we are to declare that to the world around us with joy. And, and so we're to live in such a way toward the world around us that we, that, that we show we have hope, that hope's meant to work out in our lives and create opportunities to share and to declare that truth, to declare his goodness. You know, the, the real temptation of a series like First Peter, when we talk a lot about suffering and trials and persecution, is that we start to build a bit of an, an us and them mentality, uh, a bit of a, well, you know, the world's against us and we'll kind of we'll holy huddle it. And that would just be like, like the most gross misappropriation of First Peter. If, if that was what you came away with from the series I, and First Peter was here today, I would thoroughly expect him to hit me with this music stand because um, I haven't done my job. Uh, it's an us toward them book. He's called us to be citizens of hope, whose, whose hope works out as, as we are a people of the society around us, that we work for the good of others and we, we submit to our government and we do good even to the point of suffering, even when others would say, no, no, just leave it, just, just do this more convenient thing. We go, no, we're going to do good because we've received grace. 
He's called us to be workers of hope. In our, in our workplaces, when we work for others, to, to, be, to have integrity and joy and, 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 and to submit to our leaders in the workplace. Not just, not just the begrudging workplace submission that we see in the world, but the, the joyful following and doing of your job because, because I've received grace so I can go about this with joy. He's called us to be men and women of hope who express who God has made us to be uh, joyfully because we have so much grace poured on us. Our, our, our actions in those spheres aren't oriented by what happens to us in those spheres, you see. But it's by a desire to share with others the hope that has been won for us. He's called us to the humility of hope. Just last week we saw this. A humility that he describes as sober-minded. But if we, we know how greatly, uh, sorry, because if we know how greatly God has loved us, has cared for us in giving us hope, then we must be driven to be humble. We can't be the proud, big-headed Christians. That's a category that should not exist. The grace of God is so great and glorious that it is transformative to every part of our lives. Every single thing. Perhaps one of the clearest meanings of what it looks like for us to stand firm in grace is that we are a people who can be gracious and forgiving toward others. We can, we can show grace to those who really, really don't deserve it. Jump with me back to, back to verse uh, 13. Yeah. Paul, uh, Paul, Peter writes, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And these are the words we skipped before. So does Mark, my son. This is probably the same Mark that comes up in Acts chapter 15. Um, you remember the story? It's not this Mark. It's a different one. Um, I think so, yeah. Like he, he so... He, He's traveling with Paul and, 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 and he actually causes a division between Paul and Barnabas because Paul doesn't want to take him because he had abandoned them in the work. He'd run away when it got tough. So Paul says, no, we're not going to have this guy with us. And Barnabas says, no, yeah, we can have him with us. And they go their separate ways because of this. God uses it to create two missionary journeys. It's great. God uses bad things to create wonderful things. But, um, but, but he's this guy who had rejected. Like, like he, he turned away. He'd run uh, when the going got tough. And yet, here's Peter, right? The Apostle Peter, and he says, uh, Mark greets you. He's my son. He's not actually Peter's son, in all likelihood. He's, he's, he's his son in the faith. He's someone who regards tenderly and with love. Someone who he embraces. And, you know, we could, we could probably draw some lines there, make some connections. Peter knew what it was to receive a great deal of grace when he didn't reserve it, uh, deserve it. In fact, specifically in the situation of having run, he knew what it was to receive grace. On the night Jesus, before Jesus died, Peter had run. He had denied Jesus three times in the face of the question, surely you're one of his followers. He'd said, no, I don't know that man. I call down a curse upon myself. I don't know that man. And after Jesus rose, he was embraced and welcomed back in. And Jesus said, do you love me? And he said, you know I do, Lord. And he said, care for my sheep. 
He had called him to be not just one of his followers, but to lead, to serve in caring for the people of God even after he'd run. And so here we see Peter expressing grace towards someone who didn't deserve it, towards Mark. It's the kind of grace we're meant to have towards those who don't deserve it. We are a people who love the undeserving. You know, you see Christians who are angry at people who are sinners, um, who are uh, spiteful towards people who are sinners. That just doesn't have a place with us. It doesn't mean we deny sin, but we love them in it. You know, we care for them. And when people within the church, like Mark, when people, not, not you Mark again, when people within the church fail miserably, well, you know, sometimes we talk about things like church discipline, like they're a way to, to get back at people. No, they're a way to reconcile people. You know, our whole ministry is reconciliation. We want grace to pour out in our relationships. And so as we close today, we, we're going to do something a little bit different. You may have noticed we didn't do open prayer at the start of our service today. Uh, normally, uh, at the end of the sermon, I'll just pray for us and then we'll sing a song and then we'll go out. Tonight, I want, I want Matt uh, to come back up. He's going to grab his guitar and be ready. But before we, we sing, uh, we're going to have a time of, of open prayer where, where anyone is free to pray out loud as usual. And, uh, and as we come to the end of the series in First Peter, I wanted us to have a chance to respond to the word of God in prayer. I invite you to, to, to pray for two things specifically and other things as you feel led. First, I want, I want us to give thanks for the way that God has shown his grace toward us. Give thanks for how much he has loved us, for the, the different ways in which he has loved us. And second, I invite you to pray for us as a church, for those who are here and those who aren't here today, that we would live out the grace of God in our lives, that we would be driven to that by God's grace, that we would be driven to live different. If you feel the need to pray in any other way, please just respond as you feel led. Uh, respond to the word of First Peter. And please, um, I was going to say make it loud so we all can hear, but I think we'll hear. Uh, and so, Matt, feel free to, to strum us a little bit or whatever you want to do, but I'm going to, I'm going to start by praying for us now. Our God and Father, you have blessed us, and we thank you. According to your great mercy, you've caused us to be born again. And any who have not can be born again by believing in you, in Jesus. They will be led to do so by your powerful hand. You have caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You've given us an inheritance. You've made us heirs of something that is undefiled, unfading, imperishable, kept in heaven for us. So we thank you, Lord, with great joy. We thank you that you have given us so much and we deserved so little. We deserved less than nothing. Yet, Lord, you have shown us grace. 
lead us to be a people who stand firm in grace. Lord, we thank you for the freedom that we have in this country to be able to do what we're doing right now. That uh, there are no laws that we are uh, uh, transgressing. But Lord, we pray that we may not take this for granted because we know that persecution is mentioned in your word uh, as something that uh, we will need to be prepared for. Lord, there are uh, folk that in other parts of the world are being persecuted in ways that we just can't even imagine. So we, we thank you for the, the way that we are closeted so well uh, in this country of ours. But Lord, we also thank you for those that have become involved with this fellowship uh, and we pray for every one of those. Lord, we give um, Phil and uh, Sherry to you today who are not feeling well, that you will just surround them with your love and uh, that they will know that uh, you have designed into their bodies the ability to be able to recover. And we praise you for that. Lord, we just give the ongoing ministry of this church to you that you'll give direction to uh, uh, John and Matt as they, they seek to lead us. Uh, that uh, we will be encouraged to be more forthcoming with our faith. The people who know that what we stand for and who we stand for. Lord, I just thank you for the, the series through First Peter. Uh, thank you that you've revealed your will and yourself in, uh, in your word to us. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just uh, be hearers of the word and, and walk away and, and not uh, apply it to our own lives and do it more than uh, for me. I, I struggle with looking at uh, the injustices in our culture, in our society, uh, see the, the sin of our culture, and I, I lose hope. But Lord, help me to not put my hope in, in a world that's only going to disappoint Help me to, to love people, to proclaim the excellencies of all that you've done for us and for them, Lord. Lord, help me to find uh, hope in, in your future salvation and not in, uh, not in people, mm. not in having a comfortable life or that uh, even, even in uh, shaping culture to how we want it to be. The Lord, help us to, and me specifically, to, to find hope in, in you and in you alone. Thank you so much for the conversation.
he was in our profession vocabulary and not sufficient enough to to glorify you, Lord. But when we look around us at people, at the countryside, we can see your glorious majesty, Lord, that you have created all, you have created all this for the people that you've created. So many people don't see that or understand that. But I just pray for this people. I pray for the people in our community that they can see you and know who you really are. I pray for people in churches that they can look past their church's doctrines and look to you as their saviour. I pray for those of this congregation that aren't here today, for Ralph and Jackie, for Jeff and Robin, for Bill and Shelley, for Gwen and Nancy, for those that visit from Maitland, other churches too. I pray Lord for this church that we would be effective disciples of yours, that we would show a love for those around us mm. and not exclude them from what you have given us all. That we would share, share just a small part of you that they will come to know you, Lord. I just pray to for our daughter and our daughter of our sister in Christ, Donna. Mm. I pray, Lord, that as she waits on you for the outcome of her court case, this court case, I just pray, Lord, that in your wisdom, that this would be the last court case that she would have to go through. Mm. And that that prison without walls would just fall into pieces and that she would be able to come back home. I pray for Elias, that his faith, yes. and that he would continue to seek, to ask questions, and that you would place God in him in his life, Lord that would be able to answer those questions for And I pray for little Harriet as she goes to throw between parents, that she would not be affected by this, that she would have a thirst and a hunger as she does have now for Jesus, and that would know him and continue witnessing as she does. I pray for marriages in this church for all those that are married. I pray for those that are single. Guide us in your ways, Lord, and lead us in your truth everlasting. In Jesus'
Yeah, Lord, we. Well, I'm reminded of the words of a, a poet, Lord. If there are words for him, if there are words for Jesus, then I don't have them. My words are few. And to capture the one true God using man-made vocabulary would never do. But God sent uh, his son, the word, living proof. You came down, Lord, and you rescued your people. You have given us grace. Let us be people who stand in grace all our days. Defeat our fears and anxieties. Defeat our weakness with your strength. Work through our weakness, Lord, in your strength. And glorify your name in this world. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen.